This episode of Ear Buddies is brought to you by Steven Mnuchin, an American investment banker and film producer who served as the 77th U.S. Secretary of the Treasury. Steve Mnuchin! I'm Danny Elfman. And I'm Hans Zimmer. <laughs> this is Ear Buddies. Episode four of Ear Buddies. Hello, buddy. Hey, buddy. How you doing? How's everything going? Oh, I don't want to get too deep into my personal life, but uh, sure. suffice to say that things are going really well, and... <laughs> Uh, I was in the gifted program when I was younger, when I was in elementary school, and I have suffered no uh, ill effects of that. In fact, I only have grown more gifted, so um, <laughs> things are things are great for me personally. Thank you for asking. Okay. You're welcome. Long, long ago... In a galaxy far, far away. Episode 4. The one about movie music. After launching a dumb podcast about grammar into the sun, Matt and Tim have begun a new journey toward galactic conquest. But such a journey requires allies. Now, with the entire universe watching, they have entered uncharted space, the world of film scores, and hot takes lurk around every corner. Who will save them from stepping in it? The answer is Club Steel. Welcome to the show, Club. Uh, hello. Oh my gosh, buddies! It's uh, <laughs> it's so good to be here. Um, I'm been a huge fan uh, from way back. Uh, episode one of your buddies. Uh, it's been it's been truly life changing. Um, it's it's an honor to be here. Um, you know, I'm just I'm just I'm just some guy, just some fan. You know, plucked off the streets, and um, I, I don't feel yeah. You, you two are amazing. I I don't feel remotely qualified. To, to be in your presence. So. Well, we don't. Uh, we don't think you're unqualified. That's why we. Uh, that's why we asked you on. We, um, you know, it's it's Oscars week, and uh, I don't know anyone in my life, you know, uh, who who likes the movies as much as Club Steel. So uh, we figured you would be in a, a voice of authority and uh, intelligence on this matter, Matt. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, like you said, Tim, uh, we do really look for the best when we're when we're looking for guests for ear buddies. And uh, the first person, honestly, who came to mind was our good friend Club Steel. Um, he knows about movies. He knows about films. He knows about this podcast. Uh, and it's just yeah. it's great to have have you on here, buddy. Let's start uh, with. Unity with something everyone can agree on, and that is, you know, probably 
if you ask just about anybody, who do you think is the greatest film composer, living or dead? And the answer, I you know, at least for me, and I, I don't want to speak for my other two buddies here, uh, but the answer for me is good old John Williams. I mean, how do you deny it, right? Club, where do you fall on the John Williams uh, take a sphere? Where are you? I'm uh, I'm pro. I'm pro John Williams. Uh, I'd say he's pretty he's pretty undeniable. He's pretty, yeah. um, you know, much much like our last president, pretty unimpeachable. Um, <laughs> cut, cut that, please. Oh my God. Um, no, he's uh, John Williams is he's he's the best. Um, he's he's been at it for a long time. Um, when you first asked me to do the pod, I, um, I sent you a list of things that I was interested in talking about in uh, regards to movie, movie music. And you know, he's right at the top. I, I said, uh, I think John Williams is kind of the undisputed uh, greatest of all time. And I think he's always um, just banging out these <laughs> iconic scores. Um, they, they live up to uh, the movies that they're in and they don't, they exist within the same uh, atmosphere as the movies they they don't become distracting outside of the movies but they're it's great music sure. in and of themselves the themes that he's done the uh, directors and projects he's been a part of um from his collaborations with uh, george lucas to steven spielberg um to yeah didn't he just yeah. do the last star wars movie he did i mean he must have yeah yeah um uh, well, yeah my, my favorite uh of Wow, is that your is that yeah. your feeling? Sorry, hold on. Is that your feeling? Uh, yes, uh, I think every Star Wars movie uh, they get better as they go along. In my opinion, <laughs> I just one after the other <laughs> keeps throwing it. Good, um, <laughs> great. That's what we're going but, with. No, but what he did with like um, you know the the original trilogy, what he's done with that, um, you know the 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 Empire, the the the, the marches he's done. It's like the dun dun dun. dun. That's like a modern dirge almost it's 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 become so tied to that um and i mean he's always um just making these great themes and uh yeah uh i think if you were to make some kind of monuments uh like you know i'm (laughs) i'm anti uh (laughs) colonialism and pro like native lands and stuff but if you if you were to make like a like a a new mount rush (laughs) of film composers which uh maybe isn't the most (laughs) the best use of like gland um but if you were two you know yeah it would just be four four faces of john williams like him doing like a serious one just a, a, a sweet small a small little mount rushmore we don't want to yeah we don't want to take um a great deal of of rock sculpture here we just want to just enough for four little little heads just small little heads exactly Matt, where do you? I want to. I want to set up some sort of like crossfire action here, Matt. You know why? <laughs> why is Caleb wrong? Well, look. Okay, I'm not a. I'm not a huge Star Wars guy, um, mm-hmm. but I can't really disagree about John Williams. I mean, it is a gimme, but yeah. he he is top shelf. Um, he never phones it in, and um, obviously his work with any number of other films that I have mostly seen. Uh, he's always he's always very intentional uh, with his composing. And and also, I will say, he is 
composing. Yes. He's writing, yes. you know, he's writing scores um, and not soundtracks, and we don't need to get into the weeds on that. But uh, he is an artist, and mm-hmm. uh, I really just can't thank him highly enough for what he's done for our uh, our culture. I mean, if if Star Wars had been made and the music sucked, and it wasn't it was it wasn't John Williams, it was some B movie composer you know, with a synthesizer or something, doing something. We would not revere Star Wars today the way we do. So much of the impact of any film is dependent on a good score, I would argue. Um, And John Williams set... I mean, he created the mold that everybody is working with now today, I think. And what's crazy about him to me... Not that it's a big surprise, but if you just like, you know, skim his Wikipedia page or whatever, look him up on iTunes, the number of all-time themes that he wrote like 40, 50 years ago is jarring. You got Star Wars, right, of course. Jurassic Park, of course. The dude wrote... Jaws. He wrote the theme from Jaws. And amazing. And then, and then, and then he wrote this. He wrote the Harry Potter music. To say nothing of why I love John Williams is he's old. I mean, well, he is old. That's true. But he's he's old fashioned. Matt, you pointed out. I mean, he's a he is a composer. You can you can see him writing on a big old score, a big score paper or something. You know, like he's and he's writing these big bombastic romantic themes that take the forefront of a scene, right? You'd notice the music when you're listening or when you're watching a movie that he scored. You you notice the music, and that's intentional. There's so much intention and lyricism in his writing, and you're you're meant to be swept up in those Star Wars themes and the and the Harry Potter themes because because he's the goat. Because he's good enough that he can come in and flex on you and say, "Here's a theme that you will remember for the rest of your life." We're going to crank it way up in the mix right now. It's It rules. Yeah, I think, you know, that is all true, all co-signed. I would say a huge thing with, with our buddy John is, you know, that meme that, I mean, it's, I hope, it's honest last legs and I think it kind of is but the one on Twitter where they say you know he always understood the assignment mm. yes John Williams always uh, fully understands the assignment because you know there are there are many 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 themes that c- 
could work for any movie. I'll say it. Right. Why the why the dark minimalism of the Jaws theme? Why the um, you know mode and particular instrumentation and uh, I mean this sounds dumb, but particular notes of the Harry Potter the Hedwig thing, right? Like those are that is writing, you know, for a movie and you know what the movie is, you know what the you know, the emotion that you want to invoke or convey or whatever. Um, and you know, because of his ability to somehow never miss, I mean that's why that's why he's gotta build that little Mount Rushmore for himself in his garden. Caleb, here's a question for you. Um you are a, a film aficionado. I think it's safe to say you love films. Uh, that is, um, that would be safe to say. You would not have to wear a hard hat to say that. <laughs> Where would you put the importance of a film score on sort of the, the hierarchy of, you know, of elements of a film? How important is the music to a film experience? I mean, I don't want to I've never been to film school, but <laughs> films, you know, film movies are um, an audio and visual medium. You know, I guess we're going back to like talkies, you know, like old school movies. Those did have music, obviously the little, you know. <laughs> Ragtime, whatever, for uh, yeah. for like Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin, all that stuff. But uh, when it comes to like modern movie, uh, movie making and storytelling, um, God, I don't want to be that guy, but I'm a huge fan of uh, the Coen brothers, uh, obviously. And um, the intro to the movie Fargo is just this. Like you said, just just bombastic, sweeping. Uh, Carter Burwell is one of my favorite composers. He absolutely rolls. It's, it's oops, all bangers, all the way down uh, with his discography. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you just you just see this, this you know, bad... Uh, Whatever, Shitty little car driving through, uh, you know, the, the Minnesota winter, and just this this score just comes in the background and, and makes it makes it epic and um, enormous, and it it sets the stakes for the rest of the movie, even though it is like a small crime movie. Um, and I think I think the Coen Brothers have been very good and selective about how they use music in their movies, and I I admire that, especially in they they surround themselves with collaborators who are who who understand the assignment um as uh, matt previously excellently stated um so I, I think like even in a um a not so good movie um do you remember the movie the founder with michael keaton about like the uh what's his name the the guy who stole mcdonald's from like the McDonald's oh the brothers. mcdonald's movie the <clears throat> mcdonald's movie yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that movie's not very good it's not a very good yeah. movie. It's probably well, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to rate it. Oh well, yeah, yeah, yeah. From my perspective, it's just it's just not a very like <laughs> engaging at all. But Carter Burwell does does the score for that movie, and this mm-hmm. this I listen to the score all the time. It's, it's so good. Like I, I I don't know what it is about it, but he 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 elevated the material to to something that would have been you know just like completely forgettable to something I'm still talking about. Whatever. Did that movie come out 10 years ago or last year? Nobody knows. It, it truly does not exist, but Carter Burwell put in the work and he, and he um, yeah, he made it his own. But um, I'd also like to say that um, a score has to understand the assignment and exist within the reality of the movie. That's the thing that I think about 
John Williams, you can't hire him for just any movie. It would be it would be silly. I mean, obviously, you probably can't afford him if, in many cases. But um, but even if you could, if he were doing pro bono work, it's a very specific. It's it's you know it's our Blo- blockbuster. Uh, it's blockbuster score. You know exactly. Yeah. It, it would make it would be weird if he scored a Coen Brothers movie. I think you know every composer has his or her place, and I think that is a good segue to move to our next composer uh, to discuss, and that is Hans Zimmer. You're waiting for a podcast. (laughs) A podcast that will take you far away. You don't. I. I can't remember the rest of the. Qu- I'm not going to keep doing this. But uh, Hans, you know our guy. He's, I think, sort of the the crown prince of of composing in many eyes. I think you know maybe if you're if you think okay, so John Williams, who's next? A lot of people would say Hans Zimmer because he gets these huge tentpole movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt, I, I, you have some beef. Let's let's hear it. I sure do, Tim. Um, and look, I, I, I do want to start by saying, like, I like his stuff. I think it's great. Um, oh. But, but I, I don't think you the, just the, think he's a jerk. Well, no, I will. <laughs> I will um, lay this out a bit. So, okay, uh, he definitely, like you mentioned, Tim, has become. I would say, in the cultural imagination, probably second to John Williams. I have a problem with him because of how he operates. And I would like to share that with you now. Please. Um, I'm so excited. I'm so excited for this. So, Hans Zimmer, um, you know, he started off as many do, just kind of writing his own stuff and getting some lucky breaks and being able to step up to the plate and do a great job. Um, and now he is running a factory. A factory of what, you may ask? A factory of film composers. He runs a production company called Remote Control. And this production company is responsible for the careers of all kinds of um composers who you know we we know and love for example danny elfman for example uh ramin jawadi the you know he wrote the game of thrones uh score um lorne balf many many others right and they all um I'm not going to say they owe their careers to Hans Zimmer, but they have worked with him. And uh, that also is all well and good. My, the, the problem here for me is the homogenization of modern film music that remote control mm. is um, allowing and, and embracing and furthering. You know, we've all heard of like, 
you know, pop or what? Yeah, pop by committee, right? Like you have a whole bunch of people writing one song, um, and mm-hmm. it sort of is, you know, a little bit factory made, and you know, maybe there's no soul in it, and you can kind of hear that. So that is, he is, has essentially taken, you know, that formula and applied it to his own, I mean, to remote control productions. Because what happens, I hate to tell you guys this, but he doesn't. <laughs> At least not anymore. He doesn't really write the music for the films that he writes the music for. Uh, he, you know, is this gets... like a James Patterson situation? Is it like... absolutely? Oh, what's what? Does James Patterson also do this? Well, yeah. Every book with his name on it has a much smaller name underneath it, and that's the person who's actually writing the book. Patterson just usually writes like a one or two page, like. Concept oh, or sure, for, like for a treat story, and right? Then, yeah, and then someone just you know does it in his style because yep. he's such a big deal. Now he can just and, and so he turns out a book every like three weeks as a result. Ah, um, and yeah, so we wonder why Hans is so uh, prolific. This is definitely partly why. And again, in saying this, I I don't I don't hate the music i think you know by and large it's pretty great you know the ostinatos and big dark build-ups and sort of synthy 80s uh type you know soundscapes there was definitely a big demand for uh movie music that sounded like Hans Zimmer. And Hans said, okay, well, I, there are, you know, so many hours in a day, uh, so why don't I have a bunch of these other people basically do it for me? And so he, he essentially is like, you know, the foreman, the executive producer musically of these scores, but everyone, uh, you know, they get a, like a chunk, they get a scene, they get, um, you know, a certain certain parts to work on and he's in you know he's in charge of all of this he puts it together how he wants he cuts what he you know doesn't want keeps what he does um, and so the the final product is uh, by no means the brainchild of Hans Zimmer and the way it definitely is with for example John Williams what frustrates me more about it is that just you know because um, of that sort of monopoly. I mean, it has been called, you know, a monopoly over film music. Uh, everyone, you know, you want... There are trends, of course, in film as with everything. And people years ago, and definitely still now, I mean, when he was working with, you know, Christopher Nolan, that's a huge one, um, they want music that sounds like that, and now everybody wants music that sounds like that. It It's disheartening to see, or rather hear, I suppose, all the uh, trends sort of compressed into one, you know, one vibe and, and one uh, sort of idea that you know, all credit to him, Hans did, uh, I don't know, kind of invent and definitely popularize, but I, you know, it is a James Patterson book most of the time, at least all the stuff he's coming out with now. So, 
that's my beef with Hans. Uh, it it seems like he is so, he is really like a, a gatekeeper in a lot of ways. I think it's important that you know us us movie fans kind of can look at the ingredient list and and mm. scratch the the hood a little bit and see. Is that, a, is that a phrase? Crash the hood? I'm going to keep it. Um, Crash the hood. <laughs> and see what is under there. Caleb, where are you? Uh, where's what's your, what's your Zimmer take? I just want to, first of all, thank Matt. Um, I think that episode four of Ear Buddies is to remote control uh, <laughs> as the jungle is to up in Sinclair. <laughs> is to meatpacking plants? Yes, yeah. That was a concise yeah. uh, takedown. And I think... I think um, <laughs> The industry, after hearing this app, is going to be absolutely uh, shaken. Well, that's court. what I'm hoping. Um, that's what I'm hoping. It's an open secret. But it should pe- be. I do agree that uh, recent, you know, the Ramin Jawadi and the, I, I think a lot of people are, the vibes are collapsing in on themselves um, <laughs> in terms of <laughs> that's, how. That's good. <laughs> the vibe is collapsing. The vibe is collapsing. <laughs> um, I do think, I mean, I'll defend the score for Interstellar any day of the week. Uh, I mean, Mm. It's like whatever. I'm crying just even like oh Tim, don't <laughs> No. Tim, no, don't. <laughs> you put it to me, Caleb, before this episode. You said he he will write an incredible score and then like coast on it and and just phone it in for the next five or something. Yeah. Right? That's, that's kinda Yeah, there's um that's I, your that's your thesis? Yeah, I've only watched YouTube videos about it, but you know, you have um certain scores that they'll just write treatments for and that'll just be the final product. Um I'm not sure what the what the term is exactly, but like you'll find composers reusing their scores for different movies. That's especially especially common. And the more recent blockbuster fair, like I think, half the music in the first like Thor movie was like temp music yep. from other movies yep. that was just slightly changed. It's called the temp track, and I'm going to bring it up later. But that's ex- you're exactly <laughs> right. I mean, that's exactly right. how it works. Can I um, just um, can I just go to bat really quickly? Sure. Yeah, we've really for... been dragging Hans through the mud. Go ahead. Well, let me just say that what he did with the Lion King is all-time stuff. I mean, and it and of course this is the 90s. This is a much less cynical version of Hans. This is This is as lyrical as as John Williams, and that's probably because he had a lot of John Williams in his ear at this time, and he, the whole, uh, you know, the the Zimmer vibe that we know, where he just vamps on four chords and cranks the bass up real loud, uh, wasn't really happening yet. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't falling back on that yet, and so he was still sort of, I guess, you know, in a, in a more creative form. But he wrote. Uh, the Lion King soundtrack has like four or five or six insanely good themes and melodies that are. I mean, listen to this. 
Are you kidding me? Unbelievable. Caleb, you get the last word on Hans Zimmer. Take it away. Um, this has been Hans Takes with Matt and Tim. <laughs> That's right. We're sick of talking about it. Thank you for, yeah, for saying that. <laughs> Moving it along. That's good, Caleb. Thank you. Um, so, uh... As you, the listener, are hearing this, the Oscars have aired. Uh, they, they were last night. Uh, we're here. So we're recording this, though, a couple days before the Oscars. So we don't know if this was an Oscar award winner. Uh, but, Caleb, I asked you what, you know, what, um, which score that's up for, for best original score uh, this year really jumps out to you the most and so tell us if you would uh first of all i'd like to say the oscars are pretty dumb it's all i mean like you know it, it is important to highlight um you know movies and 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 the people who work in them especially below the line um you know crew yeah. members you know uh visual artists technical artists i think stump people should definitely have their own category but at this point it's um mm-hmm. You know, it, it is very much. It's just a. It's just a award show. It's a dog and pony Whatever. show. It, yeah. yeah, it truly does not mean anything. But um, you know, I do care so much about it. <laughs> it occupies so much of my brain space. That's fine, um, man. That's that's but, one way to live for sure. Uh, the nominees this year, I think. Um, so, like uh, for Defy Bloods, you got Terrence Blanchard, who's done a lot of Spike Lee stuff throughout mm-hmm. the years. Just perennial great guy. Um, James Newton Howard, uh, I think he did one of the he did a great score for Nightcrawler back in 2014. I think he's um, oh. he's, he's another one one of the guys. Um, uh, let's see, but 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 who I want to talk about is um, uh, Emil Museri, for, um, who did the music for uh, Minari. which uh, I think is just a very lovely small film. And I think the music exists within that film very well. And um, I think Big Country, uh, I think is the name of the song. It's, 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 it's good, it's very good on its own, but within, within the universe of the movie, oh God, it's, it's very lilting. And I, I don't have the correct words for it, but it, it really does it for me. And- It gives um, me a little goosies for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 just you know the the movie is a very you know a family kind of small drama about you know just finding your way in this crazy mixed up world. Yeah, about farming, kind of too. It's like <laughs> it's a, and it's about farming. It's about agriculture. It's about agriculture. It's, and it's a, but it's a really earthy score though too. Like it's yes, it's all so or uh, acoustic. The way he uses vocals to double some of these melodic lines just yes, yes. rules. You're right. It is. It's. It's really. There's heartbreak in in all these chords. It, it really is lovely, and it's Absolutely. so nice. I'm glad we're talking about this because we were just talking about these two loud, loud, loud composers. Nothing wrong with that. It's a different kind of movie. There. Are, I mean, there are so many different kinds of film that you can't. 
every composer cannot be loud. <laughs> and no. it's so nice to... This is such a balm um, from, you know, even line from Inception and Star <laughs> Wars and all that stuff. Just to hear the sound of something that felt like it was recorded in a small room is is really lovely. Right. And it's not it's not easy listening necessarily. Um, you know, it's 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 very engaging and especially it it works with what you're seeing on the screen in a very um, moving way. And I think that is a very necessary part of of film score. And I think um, I don't know, I think he's going to be one of the guys this uh, Emil Masseri guy. He's he was in He's one of the. He's a touring musician for uh, the Dig, I guess. Yeah, that's right. That they like play with like the Lumineers and stuff. Uh, but he went to he like studied film composing, and he's like good friends with Nicholas Bertel, another really good modern composer. They're both guys in their thirties. He's cranking out these really, um, not so bombastic, but very, very intricate and um, memorable uh, scores. And I think. Uh, what the, uh, this is his third feature that he scored. He previously did um, the last Black Men in San Francisco. Which is an excellent movie. And he, the score for that is very different and epic and has a lot of, a lot of bombast, but also very, you know, melancholy and, and, uh, Oh, it's so good. It's so good, Tim. The, again, the use the, <laughs> the use of vocals. Uh, yeah. It's so yeah. cool. It, it's like uh, he's using a voice as like a string quartet or something. It's really amazing. I just love it. Yeah. He's really, yeah. Um, and he also did Kajillionaire, which is a very, mm-hmm. it's also a very different score. Um, but he, yeah, he's, he's one of the guys. I really hope um, he has a long career. Uh, scoring film and doing whatever else he wants to do. There's a lot of people who've done film scores who do other things and are successful in that and kind of dip in and out of like, you know, doing doing movies, you know? So it's, I I hope he has a great career. I hope, you know, I have not been paying attention to any of the uh, awards precursors. I don't know who's favored uh, to win, but, um, you know, it'll just be good to, to for him to get some recognition and you know it is truly an honor to be nominated i'm sure but I, i'd like for him to to win and get some more eyeballs and um um earlobes onto him i guess <laughs> the oscars are are a local contest and they don't matter but you know they do matter in the sense that like you said you know you get more eyes on work like that um, mm-hmm. and and that is something that I think like that's worth winning because then the chances of uh, being able to do more I don't know whether it's more intimate or more non-traditional or, or just different like uh, um, he Let's see. What's his name? Ludwig Göransson. He, yes. He, uh, I, I caught his name on the credits of most episodes of Community way back in the day, uh, because he huh. he did music for them. And then uh, he 
became Donald Glover's producer, Childish Gambino. And then he uh, uh, scored the um, Bla- uh, Black Panther. And so he just really rocketed up there. And it was, you know, he's a Swedish guy. And it's just phenomenal because he, you know, I mean, didn't come out of nowhere, but he did definitely, he was doing something different uh, than, you know, like a big Marvel movie, right, would would often do. And he went to Africa and, like, you know, figured out how to, like, work with all the talking drums and the, you know, shikaris and everything like that. And a story like that is, is like, I want more of that. And that is why I want, you know, someone someone good to win <laughs> this Oscar. Um, it's why we want to see remote control abolished and, and destroyed. Right, or at least regulated. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like you can draw a correlation between, as you said, sort of the homogenization of film music with the homogenization of film. We've heard Scorsese talk about how much how sad he is sort of about the state of cinema these days because it is we're all just box office chasing and every week there's a new big action tent pole and expanded universes and all this stuff um and less eyeballs on small stories and and you know small to mid-tier cinema and so maybe i don't know maybe is is one a symptom of the other maybe it it sort of it seems like there there is such demand for big droning two chord uh scores that a la zimmer that maybe there does need to be a factory for that kind of music at this point um which is kind of a bummer to think about um but it it makes you appreciate the emil moseris of the world even more yes exactly ear buddies We'll return in a moment. This episode of Ear Buddies is brought to you by Steve Mnuchin. 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 Uh, he, he was in President Donald J. Trump's cabinet. But what you may not know is that we have Steve to thank for some of our favorite films. Um... Such as the Lego movie, Edge of Tomorrow, Mad Max Fury Road, Batman v Superman, colon, Dawn of Justice. And Tim, don't forget the X-Men franchise and everybody's favorite film, Avatar. <sighs> I mean... the That was Steve. The guy is busy and... um. I don't know how you do it. How do you how do you keep track of every dollar and cent in the entire nation and run a camera for some of the <laughs> finest movies ever made? 
Where does he find the hours in the day to do that? He wakes up in the morning. It's it's 5.45 a.m. You got to start early for something like this, right? Five, mm-hmm. 5.45 a.m. Yeah, that's right. He says to his assistant, what's the dollar amount right now? He tells him the dollar amount. <laughs> and he says, is it going up or down? And he works with that information. Spends the rest of the day staring at the U.S. Mint, watching it work, watching it tick. <laughs> dollars, 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 cents, 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 cents. Coming right down the, the hatch, just spitting them out, mm-hmm. making that money. Yep, he he's got he he's got to sign yeah. each one of those dollars too, which is which is crazy. Like put his dang so much time name on every single bill, and then it's lunchtime. What does he do? Hops in a hops on a plane, flies to Atlanta or wherever, and gets on the set. Sits down in that producer chair. They bring him a coffee. They bring him a scone. Mm-hmm. They say, "We're we're shooting." This the scene today where Annabelle uh, kills the family, and you know he, <laughs> he he dutifully picks up the camera and uses the other hemisphere of his brain, <laughs> the creative the, side, the creative one, and creates. He is an artist. I was um, stunned to learn. That, uh, that he's... No, it's it's baffling. Caleb, what do you? How do you feel about Mnuchin? Is he one of your favorite filmmakers? Love the guy. Oh man, he's up there. <laughs> he he is so. Yeah, he's he's up there. Um, his uh, his wife is also very cool and unproblematic, and um, we simply. Oh, I love her. She's so beautiful. Gosh, we have we have no choice. We um, yeah, we have no choice but to um to stand. Um. Steve and Luis. Well said. I think that I think Steve will be remembered as one of the true great filmmakers of the 21st century. I mean, for me, Tim, it's James Cameron, the Coen Brothers, yeah. and then yep. and then Steve, and not in order. I mean, I think all three of them are tied. At first place, um, with their vision, their their talent, mm. their great wealth, um, I think that <laughs> you know those three. That's the holy trinity of modern filmmaking, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and the fact, and the fact that Steve got to serve in President Donald J. Trump's cabinet as well. I mean. <laughs> I mean, what an honor. He should have a Mount Rushmore, and I mean a real one. He should blast his face into the side of a mountain. I don't mm. care who owns it. I mean, here's what I would say. Former President Donald J. Trump had the right idea bringing a guy like Mnuchin into his White House. You don't see Joseph Robinette Biden... Bringing Martin Scorsese in to run the State Department, mm-hmm. you don't. I mean, if Biden had any clout, if Biden had any power, Scorsese, Robert De Niro, um, uh, Mad Max, yep, Annabelle, <laughs> they would all. They would be 
getting him coffee. They would be signing dollar bills. They would be. They would be right near the top of of the of the line of succession. Yep. And yet, but instead, he he we picks get Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, Come and on. like and Pete Buttigieg. I mean, that Ugh. he's not a filmmaker. He's not even he's not really even an artist I wouldn't say. I mean, I know he plays the piano, but come on. That's what it, that's nothing. Everyone everyone can play the piano. Manushin, it's a charmed life and he's living it. He uh he um, can, I, can I just <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. Can I just say It seems like the Robinettes has become the new like Hussein in terms of like middle <laughs> names of presidents. I mean, they're both equally good for different reasons, so I get it. <laughs> but just right. to add a little like flavor to it, like nobody's mm-hmm. nobody. It was like a J for for Gold Donald. Yeah, John, I guess if you were if you had the time, but <laughs> to really to really <laughs> use all your mouth and say Robinette. Yeah, um, there's no shortening that. We love to hear it and see it. Treasury Secretary Stephen Turner <laughs> Mnuchin. Thank you for the money. It's ear buddies. Um, you got you got two ears, but you got three buddies today. Caleb Steele hanging on with us, buddy. Thank you for thanks for popping on here. We appreciate it. Oh, it's been it's been a joy. It's been a supreme joy to my day. It's show and tell time. What uh, what do you want to share with us today? Um, yeah. Uh, first of all, I'd just like to say um, it's springtime and I'm in love. And <laughs> um, my girlfriend has introduced me to a lot of new um, music uh, since I've known her and. The first time we spent a significant amount of time together, um, we just we danced until 5 a.m. in her studio apartment, just listening to music from each what? other and just having a great time. Um, and she, Caleb, that's great. It's wonderful. I'm I'm it, I'm very in love right now. I'll um, kill for a girlfriend. But, <clears throat> anyway, um, so, um, she said, "Do you like Phil Collins?" And <laughs> in my mind, I I rolled my eyes and I said, "Oh, she's gonna play something from the Tarzan soundtrack." And w- which is an Oops All Bangers soundtrack, obviously. I was going to say, don't you dare um, say anything. Bad no, about no, that. it does yeah, have its yeah. detractors, and but no, I, 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 I will not besmirch uh, the good name of uh, Tarzan the A Man. Um, <clears throat> but she played a song for me, which I had never heard before, um, from Phil Collins, um, <laughs> called "Against All Odds." Um, parentheses. Uh, you know, take a look at me now. How can I just let you walk away? Just let you leave without a trace. When I stand here taking every breath with you. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's not a love song necessarily. It's more of like a, oh God, a song of, of, of yearning, of, of like a love that was lost, but there's su- there's such an emotion in his voice, and coupled with that that familiar kind of corny earne- earnestness of Phil- of a Phil Collins that everybody knows, oh, it's so good. You're the only one who really knew 
so good. It's really made this last month fantastic. And every time I hear it, I'm reminded of that night. And uh, yeah, I'm just a, it's a great song. There's a joke from my favorite show, 30 Rock, where uh, one of the characters says to the other, I'm going to make you a mixtape. You like Phil Collins? And the other one goes, I've got two ears and a heart, don't I? <laughs> that's what I That's what I think every time. I have to admit that th- there was a period in my life when I was like a, a too-good-for-anybody high schooler, just an obnoxious little idiot, and I decided, you know how sometimes you manufacture a take? And you just want to like have it. You just want to have that take. Yeah. Oh, of course. My take. I just. I decided to be like Phil Collins sucks. That was just a position I wanted to try to defend. Stupid. What was I? Yeah, thinking? man. You were in high school. And and I remember uh, the guy I worked for at a radio station at that time. I told him I was like I don't really like Phil Collins, and he was like, "That's stupid." What are you... (laughs) That makes no sense. And he was right. It is, um... Yeah. It's undeniable. There's the gated reverb. There's... Oh. Oh, it's so good. (laughs) Oh, man. Anyway, that's, that's my show and tell. I like the idea of doing a show and tell because it's springtime and you're in love. That's uh, <laughs> me too. Need more of that. Um, mm. my show and tell. Gonna bring it back to movies. John Williams, right? A right. freak. A total. A total freak. Every seven days a week. <laughs> exactly. Every single thing he writes is incredible. We there are there are fifteen or twenty iconic themes that that we'll never forget. But I did not realize until I was doing a bit of research for this episode that my dude is responsible for this. I did not know that. I am, my jaw is on the floor. That rules. What a king. What a king. The very best. The very best. If you want big horns and big old timpanies, first guy you call is John Williams, if you have his number. I thought the ancient Greeks wrote that. Honestly, honestly. Yeah, it feels so... Timeless. It's, it's that timeless. Yeah. I'm Bob Costas. You're back with. <laughs> and so I'm good. Michael Phelps, and I can <laughs> I can win a gold right now. Oh, I love it. Oh, that's remarkable. That's uh. There you go. That's classic John right there. Uh, so just a very simple show and tell. Matt, what do you have for us? Sure. So uh, I'm gonna bring the vibe down, and I apologize for this. <laughs> so Caleb, uh. You know, you were hovering around the idea, the concept of a temp track, uh, and a temp track, uh, to put it simply, is just what it, what it sounds like. It's supposed to be a, a temporary track, a piece of music that uh, you put in. Well, you don't, but a film 
person would, like Steve uh, Mnuchin, Steve, perhaps. Steve Mnuchin might do that, yeah. Right, if he gets around to that. Uh, but it's, it's placed um, in, you know, the first drafts of a film to just kind of evoke the vibe of that scene and like what the what the director wants it to feel like uh which is fine right i mean like you can you you can it's not hard to write something where it's like i want it to sound like this but not this right write your Mm -hmm. own thing uh so great idea in concept uh however a uh just to circle back to this uh these hans zimmer and his cronies and his mentees i suppose is the the kinder word they very often his with buddies these, yeah sorry his buddies uh they very often just use they put something in it as a, as a temp track that maybe they wrote before and then they're like oh this sounds good let's just do this why why write anything else so kind of lazy but i suppose it works what i want to show you uh is a tune called adagio in d minor by John Murphy, and I'm going to start it, uh, and you will have heard it before. The reason it feels like you've heard this before is because you probably have, because it has been in films uh, such as, let's see, what was originally written for a film in 2007? It's been in all kinds of trailers. Yes, Sunshine, very good, wow, excellent. Um, It's been in X-Men, so Steve signed off on that. Uh, It's been in a bunch of pilot episodes. It's been in Star Trek, it's been in uh, video games. It's been in all kinds of things, and it is just one of the most common sort of emotional chord progressions. And if you play this progression and you put strings over it and some piano, it's going to work. And this is why it is actually one of uh, it's the most popular, most common temp track in the industry. And again, makes a lot of sense. Because as, li- as you hear this, nothing is really happening. There's no melody. It's just shifting chords. And it's, it's nice. Uh, but this really smacked me in the face because I was watching, I don't know, a couple months ago, uh, a movie called Wonder Woman 1984. Is it four, four. or seven? It's 1984. Yep. 1984 and you know I was having sort of a dumb time kind of not really thinking it was good but watching it anyway uh, and then there's a big scene and I think it has something to do with an invisible jet or her golden uh, rope lasso and I don't know she's flying or something and this these sounds come in and we hear that bass and it just starts kicking and she uh. is she is rising up and you get goosebumps I'm getting goosebumps now like you can't help it, but they just used this one. Why would you not try something else? They said this is good enough. This basically evokes what we want to evoke, and you know what? It does. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like, just take another couple days and yeah, write something like literally similar to it. That's, you can I take this. This Call is up this is a Zimmer. Right. I mean, this. yeah, this is a, a track. Like, you could write uh, a melody over the top of this, and it could be a different thing. 
but they didn't care to do that. So just phenomenal, and they people are just they use it like you use a parking meter. I have an idea. Could could all three of us make a pact right now? Next time club appears on this show we will all three have written a melody to go over that and we'll all sing it to each other and see which one absolutely absolutely and then we'll pitch it okay sounds good one more fun fact about that uh adagio in d minor uh is actually in e minor is it well that's really funny i think he must have named it and then they transposed it for whatever reason and they just kept the name and he said well i can't change it now it's once again it's yeah, D minor. you know put in right put in the temp track well i can't change it now change the key uh, it's just we're, we're deeply committed to questionable decisions here so yeah i just wanted to kind of end on a real downer thank um, you hope you guys appreciated it caleb as always a smashing time thank you for thanks for being here it's it's been a great time. I, I, I truly love talking to you guys and, and listening to you. And um, it's nice to have my my buddies in my ear, I guess. And um, if we had a, uh, if we had a Patreon, what tier would you contribute at? I would just max out my income every month. I I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you're not at the IRS. I'm not gonna tell you how much I make a month, but I would send my <laughs> entire paycheck <laughs> to your Patreon. Um, to support your endeavors. That's good to know. We're just so, we're putting the feelers out. It's good to know that yeah. at least one person would dedicate his entire income. That's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Caleb, what did uh, what did you learn today? We'll let you have the last word. What did you learn today? Um, I I've learned so much. I've learned that I, yeah, I, I love you guys and you're the best. No, we love you. Buddy. I'm. I'm I'm earnest. It's 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 springtime. I'm in love. I, I am that's just, right. That's right. It's springtime, and we're in love. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, you know what? Uh, this has been phenomenal. I wish everybody the best of luck at the Oscars. Yep. And uh, you know, you're still a good person if you lose, but not if you win. <laughs> it's a conundrum. Talk to you later, buddy. Talk to you later, buddies. Talk to you later, buddies. Mm-hmm.